Shall see her drinking my water. <laughs> well, good morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we celebrate what we call Easter. It's the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But have you ever wondered why he's risen from the dead? Have you ever wondered why he was dead in the first place? Why was this one who healed so many, who fed thousands, why was he crucified? I mean, he did about, he went about doing good. It's what we call the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news. The word's used over 90 times in the New Testament. And what do you do with good news? You tell it. You proclaim the good news. And so this morning, what I'm going to attempt to do is proclaim to you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and judgment. And we can be forever with Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at the first four verses with me. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I proclaim to you as good news, unless you believed for nothing. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now the thing that makes the good news good is when you know the bad news. You can't have good news without also having bad news. Alright? So here what the Apostle Paul does here, he stretches out, you know, Roger, you take Kathy out to buy her brand new set of diamond earrings. <laughs> and you'll go there to the jeweler, and the jeweler will lay out a black velvet and then lay those diamonds because they will shine. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. The good news of the gospel only shines through the blackness and the darkness of our sin. Paul says, Christ died for our sins. In today's world, we try to explain away sin. Now, now let's back up here. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God had created a perfect environment. Adam and Eve had everything they could ever dream of. And the, the most important thing they have was perfect fellowship with God. And God said, Adam, you can have anything here you want except from the one tree. Now, you all know what happened, right? As Adam put it, that woman you gave me... <laughs> Eve partook of the fruit she gave to her husband, Adam, and he ate. And God said, the day that you eat, you will surely die. 
Now, let me tell you something, folks. Adam lived over 900 more years, but the moment he partook of that fruit, he died spiritually. He was dead. He no longer had that perfect fellowship with God. And Adam's sin is passed down to all of humanity, the the entire human race. And so the bad news is our sin. And in today's world, though, we try to explain away sin. We like uh, better words like an error or a mistake or a misjudgment or a, a, a psychological or a mental health issue. We try to explain away our sin. Uh, you know, today a thief is no longer a thief. He's an embezzler. The Bible says that there were harlots. Today we call them ladies of the night. Doesn't that sound better? You know, the Bible calls them drunks, but we call them alcoholics. Because it sounds better. It's not as harsh. So we try to explain away this. Uh, You know, there's a school of psychology known as behaviorism that says that man is the sum total of his chemistry and environment. That if you take someone and put them in the right environment, they'll flourish. Can you find a better environment than the Garden of Eden? Yet we just talked about what happened there. So that can't be the answer. That cannot be the answer. Today, listen, without Jesus Christ, you are not sick. Without Jesus Christ, you are not weak. You're dead. You're dead. Paul says in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Now, you may be here this morning. You may have breath in your lungs. You may be able to think. You may be able to walk and talk. But if without Christ, you are nothing but the living dead, the living dead. That's what we are. So, uh, you know, the evolutionist explains sin by saying that we are just an accident, that we just happen. Uh, we just evolved from some primitive protozoa into what we are today. And so there's nothing called sin. There is no sin. Everything is changing and there is no absolute standard. Today, there is no absolute standard. Let me tell you something, folks. The sin of homosexuality, the sin of transgenderism, the sin of adultery, the sin of lying, the sin of any sin is a result of the fact that we don't believe God. And the fact that we try to say there are no standards. What's right for you may not be right for me. That there is no absolute truth. But I want to tell you something, folks. There is absolute truth. And it's right here in this book. And so we must understand that, that you know, their, their public enemy number one is sin. Paul says Christ died for our sins. Sin is a clenched fist in the face of a holy God. In Romans 6.23, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, uh, Ezekiel says, the soul that sins will die. Romans 5.12, Paul says, therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because... All have sinned. 
James chapter 2 and verse 10, James says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. You know, we like to think of ourselves as being good people. But as we're going to see in a minute, God says, no, you're not. We like to think, you know, that, 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 you know, as long as we do enough good works, then God will accept us and God's going to show us. No, I won't. You see, God has given us Ten Commandments to live by. How many of you live by them? How many of you keep even one of them? By the way, none of you. None of us. And Paul says that if you break one, you've broken them all. James says if you break one, you've broken them all. So you only have to break one commandment of God to become a sinner. Let me ask you, have you ever told a lie? You ever cheated on your taxes? You ever cheated on a test in school? You ever lied to anybody? You ever deceived your parents? Now, why'd that one get a bigger response? <laughs> we may think that these are small things. But folks, they are an indicator of a bigger problem. And the problem is not what a person does. The problem is what a person is. And the Bible says we are sinners. And Christ came to die for sin. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus said, for out of the heart. Now the heart, not talking about this muscle that beats in your chest. When Paul, uh, Jesus talks about the heart, he's talking about the center of who we are. He says out of the heart proceeds murders and adulteries and fornications and all of these things. And so, uh, you know, a man is not a thief because he steals. He steals because he's a thief. And we need to understand that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And so until we deal with this problem and admit that there is bad news, the gospel will never be good news for us. Let me tell you something. Everybody likes to say God is love. And the Bible says God is love. But the biblical form of love and the worldly form of love are two very different things. I want to tell you something. Did you know that it is the love of God that will send multitudes to hell? It's the love of God for His own people. So the love of God does not react the way that we want it to react. And we have this idea, part of the problem in our world today, and especially in our churches today, we don't know who God is anymore. We don't recognize that He's a holy God, a righteous God who dwells in unapproachable light. When Isaiah, in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is standing there and he sees the cherubim Going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He sucks and he sees God sitting upon his throne with a rainbow around him. And you know what Isaiah says? Hey, I'm glad to see you. No, he fell on his face like a dead man. I think about the, the, the Apostle John. Who was very close to the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. G John was one of those of uh, the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John. If you look at the, read the account in the scriptures, and you know, the beautiful painting even shows that Jesus sitting there with his disciples eating the Passover, and John's laying his head on, G, on the breast of Jesus. They were close. 
But yet John, later on, on the island of Patmos, when he has been exiled for preaching the gospel, and the Lord Jesus Christ appears to him in all his glory, John doesn't run up and hug him and say, Oh, my friend, I'm glad to see you. No, it says that John fell on his face like a dead man. So don't get the idea that you can run up to Jesus, hug his neck and say, Hey, I did the best I could, and he's going to push you away and say, That's not good enough. Perfect righteousness is, de- is, is desired. Perfect righteousness is demanded from God. As parents, we need to teach our children that God is holy. That God will receive those who will come and repent of their sin. When the Holy Spirit convicts someone of their sin, we need to have an understanding of it just who it is we're talking about. That the Lord Jesus Christ is not today. He is not that humble, mild-mannered man that walked around the streets of Jerusalem in a pair of sandals. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And today he sits at the right hand of God, and one day he will return to judge the world in righteousness. And Jesus said, there will be many who will come to me in that day and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Lord, didn't I preach in your name? Didn't I teach Sunday school in your name? Didn't I sing in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. I never knew you. So just because we do these things. So the bad news is we are all sinners. There are three things about the gospel that you need to see this morning. Number one, we need to see the source of the gospel, where it comes from. We need to see the force of the gospel, its mighty power. And we need to see the course of the gospel, where it goes and what it does. There in verse 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Paul said there's nothing more important than what I'm going to tell you right here. Listen, folks, there is nothing you will ever hear in your life. From anyone, anywhere, more important than what Paul says right here. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The source of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the story of the gospel. Too often we like to go around and we tell everybody about how Jesus died for them. He died for their sins. Oh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. I want to tell you that's not true. Because there are many who are going to spend an eternity in hell because they reject the gospel. You think that's a good, wonderful plan? Sound like a wonderful plan for you? No. So we need to understand That this is of first importance. This is high priority. The bad news is our sins. What is the problem with sin? Sin brings a penalty. Sin brings pollution. Sin brings power. And when I mean power, it doesn't give you power. It has power over you. The death of Jesus Christ pays the penalty for our sins. And when Jesus died on that cross, that was full payment for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins. This means he died on behalf of our sins. He died in our place on that cross. He died to pay a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we cannot pay. 
And he did it, Paul says, according to the scriptures. The death of Jesus on the cross was not an incident. It was not an accident. It was the plan of God from the very beginning. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, it says, Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, now let's stop right here for a minute because there's been a lot of controversy for centuries. Who killed Jesus? Did the Romans do it? Did I do it? Did you do it? No, the Bible tells us that God did it. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Later on in that same chapter of Isaiah, it said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God gave his son. Our sins were laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our sins to the cross and in agony and suffer, uh, suffering, he bled and he died on that cross. And it was the full payment for our sin. John 9, chapter 19, verse 30. Some of the most wonderful words in the history of the universe. In the history of time. Were spoken. It is finished. It is finished. Jesus hung there on the cross. You know, we had our Good Friday service the other night. And I told you I'd left you with kind of a cliffhanger. Because when we left here Friday night, Jesus had died. And I told you that I would promise to tell you this morning what happens next. Okay, and if you didn't know, then we need to talk later. <laughs> Jesus said, it is accomplished. It's done. It's finished. What, what is he talking about? When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know what Jesus had done? He took away the sin of the world. And he said, it is finished. And God, we must understand, is holy and he is righteous and sin must be paid for. God cannot merely overlook sin. God cannot forgive sin without a payment being made. The Bible to the Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself, came to this earth, took upon himself human flesh, was crucified on a cross, and shed his own blood to pay for our sins. Even our own courts of laws, we see this. You know, it's said that when a guilty man is acquitted, the judge is condemned. Listen, folks, not one person, not one person in the entire human race in all of history will ever ever stand before a holy God and hear him say, well done, except the ones who come through Christ. Not through anyone else, only through Christ. You don't get there by going through me. You don't get there by going through a church. You don't get there by going through a priest or through Mary or anybody else. You get there by going through Christ alone. And that's the only way. The cross of Jesus was the full payment for our sins. And then John says that when he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. He was buried. You know, there's only one kind of person you bury. Dead ones. Jesus died. <clears throat> Not only is there full payment. There's free pardon. I was going to go somewhere, but I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to go there later on. Jesus was sealed in a grave for three days and three nights. 
Why does the Bible put an emphasis upon the burial of Jesus Christ? And it's so that everyone would know that he was truly dead. You know, there are some today who don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. They, they, they have what they call the swoon theory. That, you know, with everything that happened to him, you know, in the loss of blood, he just passed out. And then in the coolness of the tomb, he revived. Now, folks, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were in the place where the group of men come and they grab you and they take you and they beat you within an inch of your life. The prophet Isaiah tells us that he was marred more than any man. In other words, if you looked at Jesus, you would have known who he was. He was beaten so bad. They pulled out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on him. They put a purple robe around him. And then they took him and they nailed him for six hours to a cross. Yeah, he died. Because that's what a cross does. That's what crucifixion does. You die. And so Jesus died. And, and he was placed in the grave. Uh, he, he was taken. He was wrapped in linen very much like a mummy. And then left in the grave for three days and three nights. They post a Roman guard there at the tomb. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That Jesus died and he was buried. As Vernon McGee used to say, we need to understand that Jesus died for our sins and then he took them into the grave of God's forgetfulness. And that's what Jesus did. The primary reason is because of what the burial shows. There is the pollution of sin and the gospel deals with the purging of our sin. And, and our problem is not just the penalty that our sin deserves, but it's also what sin has done to us. You know, you ever heard that expression, the devil made me do it? Well, can I tell you something, folks? We don't need any help. I can sin just fine all by myself. So can you, by the way. Let me rephrase that. So do you, by the way. So do I. We all do. But the gospel of Jesus Christ cleanses us from the inside. It's not merely that, that, that we don't go to hell, but Jesus makes our heart clean. Listen, we have this idea that Jesus came to save us from hell. Jesus didn't come to save you from hell. He came to save you from sin. And the defilement and the pollution of sin has been put into the grave of God's forgetfulness. And Jesus' burial means... That he had become sin and died for us and that sin uh, is put out of sight. He's buried and when we get saved, when you get saved, when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not only does God forgive you, but he cleans you. He gives you a new heart. In the book of Ezekiel, he says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that can feel. A heart that can love. And only God can do this. We, we, God does not cleanse us from the outside in. He cleans us from the inside out. Because I'm going to promise you something. You look at me and I'm not much to look at. On the outside. But I'll promise you on the inside you'd be amazed. Look, and I don't care what my wife says. I'm not perfect. I'm not. I sin every day. We all do. 
But I want to tell you, as Paul says, even though this outward man perishes, and I want to tell you something, folks, I'm, I'm 60 years old, and, and I'm starting to tell it. Amen. Yeah. But Paul said that even though this outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know why? Because Jesus died and was buried. That's why. Our sins are pardoned. God forgives. We don't have to be haunted by the ghost of guilt. The old man that I used to be, he's dead, he's gone, and he's buried. And that's what baptism's all about. We don't get baptized to be saved. We get baptized because we're saved. It's a picture. When you go down into the water and back up out of the water, it's a picture of your death and your burial and your raising again to new life in Christ. That's what it's about. And so, the resurrection of Christ prevails over the power of sin. There in verse 4 says, And that He was buried and that He raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus has demolished the power of sin. It was sin that crucified Jesus. It was sin that nailed him to the cross. Your sin, by the way, and mine. But now, Paul says, he is raised from the dead. He was raised again. God the Father raised him from the dead. Over in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, Paul, uh, the writer says, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me because he is my, my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Jesus Christ was put on trial. And they crucified him. They found him guilty. But God the Father reversed their decision. And raised him from the dead. Now, we're going to talk about here in a minute, why is that important? Why should it matter to you and me that Jesus is alive today? Now, we, we come together, you know, and, and we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But have you ever thought about both the good and the bad implications of that? And believe me, there are both. Okay, but we'll get to that here in a minute. We'll make you wait on that one. All right. So the resurrection of Jesus, of, God, of Jesus was God's stamp of approval upon his life. Only ignorance would scoff at the fact that Jesus Christ was a person and lived here on this earth. You know, even history testifies to that. We have A.D. and B.C. You know, where does that come from? It comes from the fact that Jesus lived and that he was here. And so your only question this morning is this. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Jesus came to his disciples and said, who, are, who, who do the people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Well, some say you're Elijah, come back. One say you're the prophet. And Jesus said, and this is the important thing here, folks. And Jesus said this to his disciples, and he's saying it to you right now. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now listen, to be called the Son of the living God, to be called the Son of God, you know what that means? You're God. It's just that simple. But who do you? Is he, was he a liar who said that he was God when he wasn't? Was he a lunatic who thought he was God when he wasn't? Or is he 
forever and always, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is he? In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul talks about the importance of Jesus' resurrection when he says, who was designated as the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody has well said the fact that he died proved he was a man. The fact that he rose proved he was God. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ walked out of that grave and he was shown alive, Paul says, by many infallible proofs. And there is more proof. Did you know there is more proof today that Jesus has risen from the grave than there are that you are alive? God made sure of it. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power. In the Greek language here, the, the past tense is used to describe the facts that, that accomplished. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins. This is in the past tense, that this happened in the past. He said it is done, it is finished. Uh, he, he died never to die again. It says that he was buried. This too is in the past tense. It's done, it's an accomplished fact. But when the Bible says... That he was raised from the dead, that's not in the past tense, it's in the present tense. That not only has he risen, he is risen. And he's going to stay risen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Jesus rose, he is risen, he will always be risen, but we are never done with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you walk out these doors this morning having denied Jesus Christ, having refused his gospel, you will still one day meet him face to face. And folks, it will not be a very pleasant conversation. But the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is God's answer. The good news, the, good, the, 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 the answer to our vileness, to our total depravity, the, 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 the answer to the fact that there is nothing good in us, nothing. That all our good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. The answer to that is Jesus Christ and the gospel. There in verse 1, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which you also received and in which you stand. There is no other way, listen, there is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to be right with God than from, uh, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And listen to this. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I, I, I got out my little Greek uh, New Testament and I looked that up where he uses the word nobody there. You'd be surprised what that word means. You know what it means? It means nobody. Nobody will come to the Father but through me. And Paul here, he says that the gospel of Christ is the power. Uh, in, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hey, I looked up the word everyone in the Greek. You know what that word means? Everyone. Everyone. To be saved from the penalty of your sin, to be saved from the pollution of sin, and to be freed from the power of sin. And Paul talks here, he, he says, which you also received and in which also you stand. To stand, to hold fast that which was preached. Don't change it. Don't amend it. If it's, if it's new, listen, if it's new, it's not true. Or as somebody has said, a new biblical teaching is nothing but an old heresy. It's nothing new about this. There is only one gospel and there is no other gospel. And Paul here uses the word saved. And it is here in the present tense. And it literally means by which you are being saved. The, 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 the gospel and salvation are in the present tense. Let me tell you something, folks. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day I will be saved from the very presence of sin. It's an ongoing process. But it's a thing. You know, we as believers, we live in the already, but not yet. So the gospel continues to work. God's not finished with us. In, in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, He who began that good work in you will complete it. Will complete it. So it's something we look forward to. Salvation is a crisis where you come to God. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. Hey, let me ask you something. Let me stop right there. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that you deserve hell? Do you know that you deserve the wrath of God? Because until you know that, you can't go any further. Did you know that? Until you admit that, that you, that there is nothing good in us at all. And so salvation is a crisis where we come to God, acknowledge our sin and ask God to forgive us our sin and ask him to save us. And I will promise you, folks, not one single human being has ever, ever will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner and hear anything but the words done. Done. It's just that simple. Done. And then we believe. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he did for us. And we are being made into the, the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul says it is the good news that we can be saved. It's, you know, there's only one thing better than knowing you can be saved. And that's knowing that you are saved. And it's even more good news to know that once you've been saved, you can never be unsaved. When you get saved, you don't keep a hold of Christ. He keeps a hold of us. Hey, listen, folks, if you don't realize how important that is, that is some of the most wonderful thing in the world you will ever figure out, is that my salvation is not based on what I do or don't do. It's based on what Jesus did and continues to do. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, Paul says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We should never judge or criticize a stumbling or weaker Christian. Now, 
I want to clarify here because there's a misunderstanding in the world today. I have every right. You have every right to judge me. If as a believer, you see sin in my life, you come to me and you say, hey, that's not right. You need to get things made. You need to repent and you need to get back to Christ. So don't think that that's what Paul's not saying here. Paul's not saying, hey, you don't have the right to judge anybody. But what I cannot do is come to you and say, look, you've sinned and God's done with you. You're, you're, you might as well just pack your bags and go on home because you have sinned too bad. Because Paul says that I am God's servant, not yours. God is able to make me stand. God is the one who will hold us up. And once God saves you by His grace alone, you are kept saved by His grace alone. The gospel of Jesus extends to every single person, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. If you will come Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. He will save you right here, right now, no matter where you are. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. I don't agree with Paul. That's the only place in the Bible I don't agree with. I'm the chief of sinners. And every one of us should say, no, you're not. I'm the chief of sinners. But you know what God did with the chief of sinners? He saved him. In an instant, he, walked, he wiped away all of his sin. Right where you are this moment, Jesus will save you. And it extends to every problem. Pastor Adrian Rogers, he used to say that every problem that we have is just a subcategory of three things. Okay, now you think about this. Every problem you have is just a subcategory of one of these three things. Sin, sorrow, and death. Every problem you have falls under one of those. Sin, sorrow, and death. The gospel is the only answer to sin. The gospel is the only answer to sorrow. The gospel, specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the only answer to death. Hey, I can promise you right here, right now, if I'm standing up here and, and you know, it, it, you just have no idea how much I would praise the Lord if I'm preaching when I die. But I want to tell you, if I'm standing up here right now and you see my body go lifeless and I crumble to the ground and you run up here and I say, Bobby's dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than you are. Because this body is just the house I live in. Because Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. You will never die. The gospel is the only answer to these. There is no other book, no other plan, no other teacher, no other method, and no other way apart from the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to deal with sin, sorrow, and death. You know, our greatest fear is death. We all do whatever we can to stay alive. You know, I mentioned my age earlier. You know, my entire life. Now, my, my, my wife and I, we are like opposite ends of the spectrum. We're, we're green acres. Okay? 
I, my, when we met, she said, what do you like to eat? And I said, I'll eat dirt if you fry it. I was serious. And we got a little sign. She bought a little sign, put it in our kitchen. It says it ain't food if it ain't fried. Well, you know what I'm finding out? Is that that catches up to you. <laughs> all them fried pork chops, all that good barbecue, all that water burger. Well, no, it can't be the water burger since that's heaven's food. But all that stuff is catching up to me. <clears throat> and so, you know what we started doing? I said, you know what? And she's been trying to get me to do this for years. I'm starting to eat better. We joined a gym. You know why? Ultimately, do you know why we did this? It's just that simple. <laughs> you realize that? That's the only reason that I go to that gym and make my muscles sore, which I haven't done in 30 years working out in a gym. But, and I say, you know what? I'm going to do this because I don't want to die. But I'm going to. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is appointed unto men once to die. But here's the thing. For me, do you know what death is? It's just a step from here to there. One minute I may be standing here preaching to you the gospel, and the next minute I'll be bowing at the feet of Christ. But listen, folks, for those who don't know Christ, it's not that pretty. It's not that wonderful. Oh, you will stand before Christ. Don't get that. Don't get me wrong. You will meet Jesus face to face one way or the other. But you will either meet him as your Savior and Lord or as your judge. So we're going to die. But the gospel is that Jesus raised from the dead and he has conquered the grave. He has conquered death. Uh, Christ conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. You ever thought about, you know, if you read through the Gospels, you find a very interesting fact about the, the, the burial of Jesus. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, how many of you, when you die, are going to borrow somebody's graveside? Say, hey, just let me borrow it for a while. <laughs> but he was buried in a borrowed tomb. You know, I often wondered if old... Um, forgot his name now. Joseph of Arimathea. I wonder if he ever buried anybody else in that tomb. But that's, that's, that's different. But the thing is, the point is that Jesus has risen from the grave. And salvation is not in the merit of man. It's not in your goodness, but in the mercy and the grace of God. And salvation, uh, you know, Jesus Christ says... All who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I want to read you what Romans chapter 10 says. Romans 10.9 says that if, if you confess... With your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Guess what? You will be saved. 
For with the heart, the person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, leading to salvation. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, to those who believe the gospel, it is the greatest news. But let me tell you something, to those who reject it, it's a death sentence. Now, I told you there was an aspect to the, the resurrection of Jesus. I'll close with this, I promise. There was, a, there was an aspect to the, to the resurrection of Jesus that often we don't think about. Because, you see, do you believe this morning that Jesus is risen from the dead? Do you believe this morning that He sits at the right hand of God with all authority and all power in all the universe? Yeah, I want to tell you something. When He says, I will come again, He meant it. He will come. But the Bible tells us that when he comes next time, he's not coming as a savior. He's coming as a judge. And he will slaughter all who have rejected him. All. Where will you be? What is your take this morning on who Jesus is? You know, that's where you have to start. Is he God? The Bible says He is. John 1.1, 1, 1, for in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. What did He come to do? He came to die for our sins. He did do that. He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Jesus is alive. Listen, you can go to the grave of Muhammad, and you know what? His bones are still there. You can go to the, 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 the grave of Krishna, and you know what? His bones are still there. Buddha's bones are still there. Every religious leader in the history of the world, anytime, anywhere, they're dead. But the tomb's empty, and Jesus is alive. And the fact that Jesus is alive means that if you will come to Him, He's a living Savior, and He says, I will save you if you will repent of your sin, turn from your sin, turn to Me and believe on Me, and acknowledge Me as Lord of your life. What will you do? We're going to take just a few moments, and we're going to come to the Lord's table together. But folks, I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul gave the instructions for the Lord's Supper. He, uh, <clears throat> he said that we need to be wary of how we partake of this. Do you have sin in your life that you know you need to confess to Christ, that you need to repent of and make your heart clean and your hands, uh, your hands clean and your heart pure before God? Paul says if you, if you come to the table without that, you're in a dangerous place. He said some... Died because of it. But it's more than that. I think the ultimate. The ultimate is this. If you come to the Lord's table. And you know that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You better not do this. He takes that serious. Jesus said do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to take just a moment. And I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to search your hearts and pray. Make sure that you know you're saved this morning. That Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if you are saved, you search your heart and make sure that you know your heart is pure and clean this morning. Just a minute.